Formula Access. Two years ago, I started writing on the intersection of business and Formula One, and I have taken all of my writing, all of my experiences in the world of business, entrepreneurship, leadership, optics, marketing, wrapped it around the world of Formula One. And in a recent podcast with the head of brand strategy for Aston Martin, I was referred to a TikToker. This is a platform that I recently started using, and it's quite a bit of fun, and it's really good for, for this show. And I reached out to F1 Tony, and she responded immediately. And I caught an episode of her work in politics, technology, business, and Formula One. You, you guys, she's like my kindred soul. Like, we had so much fun in this episode dissecting content in Formula One, um, current events in Formula One. As I'm recording this, we've already scheduled a show number two. It is in the calendar for New Year's Eve. So this will launch New Year's Eve as we dissect and break down the 2022 season and get into the 2023 season. She is so much fun. She's got an awesome accent, an awesome personality. She's super connected into the world of motorsports and technology, which is my world as well. And I am so, so honored to be able to share this story with you. You guys enjoy this one. Formula Access, welcome. I told you I would bring the people of motorsport to your doorstep, and today is going to be quite a bit different uh, from the normal paddock that we have. With Without sounding too, too awkward, I think I have found my West Coast doppelganger. We grew up very close. We could be long-lost siblings. I don't know, but she's incredible. I ran into her on TikTok. And I was referred to her by uh, Aston Martin, and um, they spoke the world of her. I jumped on, I followed her content, and I was just like, wow, it's like a female version of me on Formula One. Like, this is awesome. So, um, Tony, welcome. Wow, that was a, that, there's a big shoes to fill in. Thank you, Ryan, for that intro. I loved it. I'm going to click that. Uh, <laughs> use it when I need to introduce myself next um thank you for having me and and huge shout out to to the Aston to you and Kate for for putting putting my name in your ear um it's really cool to hear so so we we have a family marketing agency so I am constantly surrounded by social media people brand yeah. people logo people whatever and I I had Kate on the show which, by the way, she's the head of brand strategy for yeah. Aston Martin. And so she just starts talking. And I'm like, like, you actually know what you're doing. Like, this isn't just theoretical pie in the sky concepts. Like, she really knows her role and like yeah. where it fits in the brand of Aston Martin. And, and I was like, I was like, you know, you guys really crush TikTok. Like, I mean, I follow all the teams. 
and I follow a lot of people, but like you guys do it and edit it really, really well. And she was like, yeah, like we work really closely with F1 Tony. And I was like, well, who's that? And like, while we're talking, I'm like looking on there and I'm like, okay. And, and then we get done and we wrap up and, and like start watching videos. And, and I came across your Brazilian political video. Uh, yes. And I was like, she's tying politics into Formula One. Like my favorite. <laughs> these are my, this is my people here. <laughs> um, I, it's so funny because I, there's, there's so much good commentary and creators in, in, in the F1 space that do like F1 stats or do hardcore like race reviews. And that's just not me. I would be bored way too quickly. And I always joke, watching my 15 seconds sort of, you know, elevator pitch of what are you is I always say I focus at the intersection of motorsports, tech, politics, and pop culture, because I really truly believe that you can't have the most complete and the most exciting and interesting conversations today without understanding how all of these worlds are intertwined. Um, and, you know, Formula One and tech kind of makes sense but I also laugh when people say can we keep politics out of Formula One I'm like I'm sorry are we watching the same sport there isn't a sport that is as politicized as Formula One we've managed to maybe get away without bringing it in but so that's fascinating to me but um but I the the bit about Kate which I actually you prompted something for me when you were saying like she really knows what she's talking about she's like on the ground doing the stuff the thing that I'm didn't I think fully comprehend before spending the amount of time that I spent this year with the teams and in the paddock is just how much or how little there are execs in Formula One who just sit around and do nothing and how much people are so hands-on and that might be even more exponential this year with the cost cap but it is fascinating to see someone that you're normally on conversation with trying to brainstorm you know how do we want the content to to go this year what do we want to focus on what's your you know what's the story you want to tell to then seeing that person run around the fan zone gifting out t-shirts doing vox pops and you're like oh yeah these people are all doing six to seven jobs and it's also been fun to watch the teams and obviously I come with a bias and I've worked mostly this year with with Aston Martin so it's not that it's my preferred team it's just it's the team that has given me the most access and the most love and I've I've learned more from them than other teams um but it's been interesting to watch how they've embraced the different channels and how they've listened to the people who understand the audience that they're trying to communicate with. So Jimmy, who is the, we call the, the Aston admin, who focuses a lot on the TikTok, he's just like embraced the TikTok trends and, and not pretended that he, he knows this platform better than anyone else. But instead, he's like in constantly engaging and finding cool trends. And then you've got Sam, who's an incredible video editor who like does the wrap ups of the weekend. So it's really it was really fun to see. And then you've got Connor, who's this phenomenal photographer that they bring in for certain races to like take. So it's, it's it was fun to see like, oh, you've got a strategy for even how the content is picked up and I know it's very different on every single team and then they had a, a strategy for how I fit in as a, a lone content creator that you know joined them for a couple of for a couple of races this year so it's it's very cool to see how the teams are evolving their social strategy and their content strategy yeah when I when I started this and I started sending out emails for people to come yeah. on the show and and talk I had sent a an email to Darlton yeah. Capital and and they they responded back and they were just like yeah you know we're really really interested in 
kind of because we're an American owned team, we're yeah. really interested in kind of like fueling content in the US and supporting creators. And, you know, it was like, I'll send your, I'll send your information out to the team. And I was like, yeah, yeah, whatever. And like, sure enough, all of, all of the emails that I had sent out to the team started coming back. back. And we're like, yeah. Yeah, 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 let's come on the show. Let's do this. And, you know, and they've been, they've actually been a really great partner for me as well as Aston. So Williams yeah. and Aston have been like, same killer, killer people. And you know, what's interesting with both of them? I think both of them, it was by choice, but also a little bit by necessity. And so with Aston, you know, they were obviously coming back to the grid after six years of being off the grid. And they definitely had a story that they needed to tell two years ago. And they obviously had Sebastian Vettel, but rightly so. They were like, we can't put a whole brand tied to Sebastian Vettel. And rightly so, because obviously he's leaving at the end of this season, which is potentially this weekend, not potentially, is this weekend, which is crazy. Um and so it was interesting to hear them talk about we have to be seen or we need to be seen or we want to be seen as the team of the fans. We want the fans to take us under their wing. We want the fans to embrace us. And the only way we get to do that is if we truly listen to the fans and communicate with the fans and activate with the fans. Hence why, you know, I was a piece of that component or a part of that strategy. And same with Williams. It was like by necessity that they were just like, look you know, we are now fully owned by an American company. We're also, I think they're the only team that has like solid boots on the ground with proper team in America. And it was the same thing where they were just like, we know we can see what's been missing all of these years, which is activations and fan engagement and fan activations on the ground in America. And so they killed it in Miami, they killed it in Austin. Um, and so I would say those are the two teams in very different approaches um that have gone after the fans and have really listened to the fans and basically been fan-centric teams and put the fans at the center and I don't think anyone argues with the fact that it's they've won and they've won big because both teams are talked about all the time by the diehard fans which has been really interesting to see that strategy evolve from we have an idea we know that we need to do something to speaking with Stephen Williams who works out with Williams and looks after the fan engagement and another phenomenal human who's just like, wow, we like, we surpassed all of our goals that we set out for ourselves, which is so cool. Um, so it's funny that you've had the same experience I have with those two teams absolutely nailing their fan engagement strategy. Yeah, I had the, uh, I had Shergul from yeah. Aston Martin, the head of North America for them on the show this morning. And, uh, and he's just like, He's just a fan, you know, with yeah. with a very meticulous and calculated approach to, and they're all like they're all like that. Mm -hmm. It you know, it's very coordinated and fan engagement, partnership, sponsorship, brand, like it's everything, like it's everything we think about in the tech business, about yeah. customer experience, about customer journey, user experience, you know, NPT, all of these, um, all of these metrics and key things. Like I see that so much of that in, in both of these teams. Like when I did my first interview with Williams, I got the yeah. whole um, brand packet. Yeah. So, you know, not only did I get like, a thousand images of their esports group, but I had, you know, their colors, their logos, like everything that as a marketer, I'm like, oh, you, you dream is, of, yeah. It's the keys of the castle. Like, I don't have to guess the hue of blue. 
like I don't yeah here. I don't have to do some weird stuff in yeah in 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 whatever Adobe creation creative tool that you need to use there's um it's it's been an interesting year I always talk about like the spillover effect which is my firm belief I I started my career in policy and politics and then I jumped into tech and now somehow I've ended up in motorsport and the through line for all of these is I every time I'm in an industry I pull from my research and experience from another industry and so I've always come at it not competing with the guy who's been in motorsports for 20 years but I come at it going look I've got a couple of marketing strategies that's helped get presidential candidates elected I know what I'm doing and I think we can use some of those strategies here and apply them and then I'm like what are you talking about I was like look if it works to get a guy elected and run one of the largest countries in the world I think I think this can help get your team principal to be seen in a different light and they're like okay so I've always leveled the playing field for myself by saying I'm not going to compete with someone who's been in politics or who's been in tech or who's been in motorsports for 20 years I'm going to come at it and spill over all the knowledge that I've experienced and I saw that with Kate who came from the fashion world and again it was interesting because she was the reason I think she connected with my content is and I remember her and we've got a great story of when Aston connected with me at the start of the year and like hey can we chat and I was like yeah and I do I think like you do like most people, that's an entrepreneur, they get on the call, I had the deck ready, I had a presentation in my head, I knew how I was going to position myself and sell myself. And these were not the exact words, but it was something along the lines of, oh, wait, no, we're convinced, we don't need you to pitch us, we want to get a sense of how we could work together, like that ship has sailed, and if you want us to work together, and if you would be interested, I was like, what do you mean, if I would be interested in working with Aston Martin Formula One team, of course, I'm going to be interested. But what was interesting is because I'd been creating out in the open using whether it was TikTok or Twitter, as my portfolio and so what I hadn't quite completely realized is Kate and the team that she was building a lot of those were a lot of those people were brand new to the sport and so they also needed a crash court in the sport and so they gravitated and found my content and they're like you're digesting the sport in ways that we haven't seen anyone else do and you're not just giving us facts but you're like tying all of the pieces together and that was extremely helpful for us so of course you were top of mind and I was like oh that's really interesting but had she have been someone who'd been in the motorsport industry for 20 years, I don't think that person would have connected with the content the way she had. And so there was something really interesting here is I knew that I was creating content for people who were getting into the sport or who were thinking about the sport in a myriad of different ways and who weren't diehard motorsport fans. And I think this is smart when you talk with people like Stephen Williams, like Kate, um, that they're coming in with a whole different toolkit and arsenal and experience that they are applying and I think it's working and it helped me because they were looking at me of like you're the person that's helping us understand this space with the knowledge that you have and there's just a, such a it was such a perfect moment of realization of oh a creating out in the open is both very very scary but I think it pays off tenfold um, because people are paying attention and if you get the diversity of people in those teams they're going to look for people who look like you and so very lucky that Kate was a young smart woman and she found another young smart woman I'm still going to consider myself young um, and we're just like yeah we want more of that um, but again I think if that would have been a 50 year old man who'd been in motorsports for 20 30 years I think my content he would have probably glossed over maybe I'm doing myself a disservice saying that but I, I generally think that is true I so I maybe I I don't know I think that new fans come to this sport and it's like I look at 
it's like yeah. data is so much information and then it's so like much. you have a safety car and you know there's all these rules behind the safety car and how they let the safety car go and people are like their ears are smoking yeah there's so much to the sport it's not just racing and and you you kind of hit it is people want to be able to interpret the sport in their own language mm. and you know I just I did a post on Cora yesterday and we were talking about Max is getting crucified for this call you know yeah. on at Brazil and you know and I'm I'm like I'm trying to articulate like when you when you're leading a team like that mm. and you are you know the team has built itself around you the words we talked about this means there's already been a decision made and you're asking the lead driver to go against what we've all agreed to and so when you open that door when does it get closed and you have to obviously be very cautious you don't get the like the really toxic team orders but yeah like you have to realize that there's so much more to this than, well, Max is just a jerk. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, like, how do we go from like hero to jerk in like 30 seconds from like one radio comment where he's like, D don't ask me that. Like we already talked about this. Yeah. It's not, no, that guy's, you know, that guy sucks and I don't want him anywhere in front of me, you know? And by the way, I've spun out, gotten in an accident and whatever, and I'm still faster than him. Yeah. I don't, personally, I think, you know, I, I try to articulate the sport as if I'm not a fan of any one team or any one person, but I'm a fan of the sport and the competition itself. Yeah. And if I were in those shoes, what are the decisions and why would I be making those decisions? And I, I think you, like you nailed it because you're saying like, I'm, I'm unpacking this really complicated sport for the new fan and people, you know, it's like drive to survive. You know, I yeah. love it. I binge wash it. I can't stop, but then I turn it on and it's like a procession of cars yeah. driving and I don't really understand what's going on. There's no context. It there's, is. There's no, it's, it's void of context. Um, so interesting because I always pitch myself as that I'm not a fan of one team. I I love the sport and I I actually I I think every driver and every team has something incredible to to add to it, even if it's just additional context or an interesting historical storyline or something that helps me understand the sport um, a little bit better. It's some of my best comment. First of all, the new fans have some of the most incredible questions I've ever yeah. come across. Um, just because they they approach it and they look at it with nothing is, you know, you're supposed to know. And so I always joke that one of the videos, some of my favorite videos are just like, wait, hold on a minute. Can I, could I fuel up a car, an F1 car from, you know, where I get my gas? And of course it's an idiotic question, but it's also not an idiotic question because you start going, no, no, no. The fuel compounds is actually very unique and every team has a different type of fuel for their car and it's built purposeful for that car and for that engine. And they're like, oh, and so you get a whole conversation or someone else once asked me, wait, where did the drivers put their key once the car started? And you go, well, Obviously, there isn't a key, but it's not that obvious. But why isn't there a key? Because it takes 20 people to kickstart an F1 car. And so you can have all of these conversations, which I absolutely freaking love. Mm. Um, so there's that component. Um, but what's also interesting is I truly believe this. 
that I think Formula One has so many armchair experts right now, or always has had so many armchair experts, but just they're more vocal, the access to the tools and the platforms for us to be content creators is just more readily accessible and easier than ever before. But we have so many armchair experts in this sport because 99.999% of us will never, ever, ever get to understand what it means to drive a Formula One car. Unlike basketball or football, where we can pick up a ball, dribble it and go, OK, I'm sure this, but I, I understand the feeling of dribbling, dribbling a ball and that I need to, you know, none of us are ever, ever going to understand that true feeling of what it means to drive a Formula One car and for all of the obvious reasons, which means that we're fascinated by every other aspect and we're trying to understand the sport and some of us dig into the numbers and crunch the data and others try and understand the historical history of this sport and how we got to here and then other people look at it from the sponsorship and the business model and so I think that's why this sport more than any other sport has the amount of armchair experts that we have which just creates this deluge deluge of, of content and conversations that I personally find absolutely fascinating and it brings me deep joy when I have someone who's like I've been following the sport for 20 years and I had no fucking idea about this excuse my language he's like I had no idea that this was even a thing which I love because again, like we have access more than ever before. We have the radio messages, we have the, you know, 15,000 million data points on every single race weekend. Um, and so it's it's fun, but it also means that no one single person will have the whole 360 view of what happened on the race weekend because we're all looking at it through different lenses, um, which is why I always say context is so important. Um, and I, I had this with the cost cap where people were just like, oh my God, why, why is Aston Martin getting away with not being in the headlines with the cost cap? I was like, you can, it's pretty obvious that Red Bull breaks cost cap sells way more than <laughs> Aston Martin breaks cost cap. I love Aston Martin, but they're obviously not fighting for a championship um, and they're not at the top of the grid. So obviously that's far less sexy. And, and then obviously there's the, the whole piece that they didn't actually break the cost cap. It was more of an admin piece. But I always talk about this when I, I stream on, on, on Twitch is the context matters. Um, same with radio messages. One of the things I love the most about the sport, and I'll stop rambling, but one of the things I love the most about the sport is it's a melting pot of cultures and languages and I'm big European so I was born in France British by passport grew up in Belgium studied all around now living in America and I've never felt more European than when I moved to America obviously <laughs> um but you know when people say my god Max is so aggressive I'm like you have to understand that first of all English is Max's second language like most people on the grid right. secondly the way the Dutch people speak is way more frank um, far less passive aggressive far less in your face and it can come across as aggressive when it's not um, and I talked to you know I lived in Belgium and in Belgium we had um, we do still have a lot of people very pretty close to Marco so we had a lot of Arabic people and when you hear a conversation between two people speaking Arabic you your eyes will go what are they okay are they, they they're like screaming at each other and then I realize oh no that's just the way they speak I've had people say this to me that you sound so different and so much mellow in French than you do in English and so these are all the contextual cultural things that are so important and I don't say this to like create stereotypes of people um but you've got to understand that you know race engineer race drivers talking in one language for both of whom it's not their first language there's going to be things that are going to be lost in translation there's going to be the intonation that's very different and you as a British or an American, you're going to find this weird. And you've got to understand that, again, second language, different. You know, you might be uncomfortable hearing two people talk like that, but that's how you talk in, in Dutch. So there's all of these things that I just 
for me make the sport so so magical and special um there's endless layers um to peel so i agree with your point it's never as black and white and as simple as max an asshole no he's not do you do you feel like people do you feel like your audience pays it pays attention to that like it we like max lewis like do you feel like you can you can articulate mm. that to a lewis fan and it be understood for what it was or is it just like yeah i'm, I'm like all in lewis i hate everyone else no, I and I like it because I think we need both. And we yeah. need, and I've seen there are content creators on TikTok who are like diehard McLaren fans or diehard Danny, you know, Daniel Ricardo fans or diehard Charlotte Claire fans. And I think you need that because it brings a whole other spectacle. But then what I laugh is like, well, don't see, be surprised. But as a content creator, if your dream is to get invited by a team, and if you're a diehard one team fan or one driver fan, don't, you know, you're your 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 options are very very limited and obviously an Aston Martin is not going to look at your diehard McLaren fan and go yeah let's invite that person you know to create content for us but so I do believe we need both and I think again it's like it's part of the mix we need the traditional journalists we need the Twitch streamers we need the content creators like myself who are unbiased and just have a love for the sport and then we need the diehard fans because they add such color and they add such vibrancy and they add a whole other layer of conversation I would say my community I've been very unapologetic and been very clear of what I stand for and who I am I don't stand for for hate and bigotry and if you want to have a screaming match between two people I'm fine if you debate the content but don't debate the person which is a bit ironic because you're always debating the person but don't like start throwing shade at who that person is I've had people come into my comment section and try and bully me because I can't string a sentence together without saying weird words I'm like this is my third language like fuck off and like unless you're trilingual and you speak fluently in three different languages I don't want to hear it from you like I really don't French is my first language and so yeah there's going to be weird weird words that I say and I'm doing my best here so I've been very unapologetic and very clear on that and I've been very clear on where I stand and I think people who consume my content see that in that I'm coming at it from this layer so people I think people know it's a waste of time to come into my comment section and start having those debates and the same for the streams. I have a lot of people who I fundamentally disagree with, but we have the best time yeah. because we're disagreeing or I have had people who've made me think through things differently. I'm like, oh, I hadn't thought of that later. That's actually really interesting. Um, but I, I like both. I like, but also I find it, I would find it exhausting. Like that's why I'm not, I think, a diehard one team fan or one driver fan because I see the hate that some people get and I'm like I don't know how you put up with it I just couldn't and my content by the way on TikTok started very boring very vanilla very factual and it took me I want to say nine months before I started being opinionated and I know part of that was purposeful part of that was me protecting myself as a woman on the internet voicing opinions I'm very very opinionated but I also knew that let's start slow I, I've been I, it's not my first rodeo and I was like no one's gonna you know no one's gonna come into my comment section and call me names and be horrible if I'm just saying here are 10 facts that you need to know about the Mexican GP like no one's gonna come at me or you know here's the historical date when the first Formula One race again no one's gonna come at me and then so slowly started to add my opinion and strong opinions. And it's what people, I think what people stay for, they might come for the facts, but they stay for the deep opinions, which I love. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop you right there. Yes. So what is the origin story? Like, how did you, like, did you go to school to be an F1 content creator? Like, how did you? <laughs> um, 
I studied politics for seven years. So I did politics, international relations with a master's degree in international diplomacy and European politics. Um, I, it, I, I am so in awe and so jealous. Jealous is a strong word, but when I look at people who knew exactly what they wanted to do and went off and did it, and I had no idea what I wanted to do. I was just always a very curious person. So politics and international relations just felt right. And I'm so grateful I actually did it. Um, and then went into politics then went into tech, as I said, and during the pandemic had sort of like a forced sabbatical, I think like some people. And then I noticed that, and I lived, so I, this is actually important that I lived for what, just under 20 years in Belgium. So an hour away from Spa Francorchamps, my dad would take me to Formula One GPs um, at Spa and God, we did this for a handful of times. And then when I was a student, I worked at Spa Francorchamps selling, I think caps and t-shirts, sleeping in the tents, like the, the whole the whole weekend experience, which I don't think I could do ever again, but I'm glad I did it. Um, and it was my, again, my dad is very, political and not very sports oriented so didn't we didn't watch any football or soccer for Americans or any other sport just Formula One and I think like many people I felt in and out of love with Formula One over the years of just like it's gotten boring or I just don't feel seen or heard or this I just don't belong here um and then there's a you know then there's a I don't know, there's a Michael Schumacher era where everyone's back into it and excited and then you get bored again and you come back again um but when I moved to America, had my full sabbatical, tried to keep busy like many people, started a newsletter, started two podcasts. And then I started noticing a few friends texting me because they'd obviously started Drive to Survive and they were asking me questions. And one of my first videos that I actually put on TikTok was an answer to a friend of mine who texted me, I'm so confused. I don't understand the relationship between Toro Rosso now, obviously, um, Alpha Tari and Red Bull and why does one team have two teams like help me break it down and I sent like I think probably like a five minute voice note and they're like Jesus Christ succinct much <laughs> um, and and then so there was a lot of texting and messaging and voice notes to help my friends get on and I was like oh, I actually really like this and then I was like and then one of my friends was like hey can you give me like 10 bullet points for when the pandemic's over obviously the pandemic wasn't over for another two years or three years and I don't even know if it is over um um but uh <laughs> I um I realized then that my friend was just like give me 10 bullet points like how do I watch Formula One race what does that look like and I was like oh easy um I can I can deliver that I can give you some you know notes and ended up writing 54 pages and the guy was just like I'm not reading this are you kidding me what am I gonna do with 54 pages um like, what do you want me to do with this? And I was like, oh, um, is it not interesting? He's like, yeah, but I don't have time to read 54 pages. Anyway, that I started putting that into my newsletter, created an ebook. And then for, wait, hold on a minute. As you can tell, not succinct. I'm not brief. I would love to be more succinct and brief. I'm loving TikTok right now, which I was just consuming. How can I take this 54 page guide and put it into an actual like 20, 100, 200 little videos. And so one of the first questions I have answered on TikTok was the difference and the relationship between Red Bull and Alpha Tauri, um, which was fun, but that kind of is my origin story. That book then became like a, the beginner's guide to Formula One, which landed on the desk of a marketing exec inside of Formula One. 
Formula One at the time was trying to figure out their American expansion and was trying to figure out what do we do with all of these new fans who've just binge watched Try to Survive and are tapping basically on F1's door going, now what? How do I watch a race? What do I do? What, what am I supposed to know? And so they enjoyed, I think, the edu educational content. And so last year created the official beginner's guide to Formula One with Formula One. Um, and that's kind of how it all started to unravel is the word I'm going to use. That's so interesting. So my origin story being 20, 2020 was a really, yeah. really hard year in business yep. and stuck in your house. And, yeah. you know, I'm like, I'm trying to escape. And so I was like, I want to be a better writer. I love to write, but yeah. I have no platform to write from. And, you know, and I, and very much like you, like, I just laugh as you talk. Yeah. Cause it's, it's like, same <laughs> I'm taking tech and like energy business and, all and this yeah. stuff. And I'm like <sighs> applying it to formula one. And I love it. And so I was like, what am I going to write about? Like, I love Quora because when I started my tech company, I didn't know anything about technology and I could, oh, like, I could go to CEOs and ask really stupid questions. And if I applied those and I took their wisdom, like they would connect to me offline and have conversations. Yeah. And it's like, well, what's a VP of engineering? Like, what do they yeah. do? You know, how many salespeople do I have? Like, what is, what's a pitch mm. deck? you know, and like all the really dumb questions that I had. And I was like, well, I love Quora. Quora actually has a really strong Formula One community. And, and so I got attached to these groups and, and I was like, well, do I write about politics? No, I don't want to be arguing and fighting all day on social media. Yeah. I'm not really a, an expert business person. So I'm not going to talk about that or pretend to be an expert in that. Yeah. And so then it was like, well, Formula One and very much like you, questions started coming in and it was like, like businessy kind of questions. Like yeah. what, is, what does a sponsor get from, you know, putting their logo on a car? Oh, interesting. Like yeah. How much does it cost? What yeah, it yeah. Yeah. And so I just started answering them and, and it kind of peaked up and I was like, I like this, like, this is fun. Yeah. And so I. I was like, well, I'm going to commit to writing one answer per day for the rest oh, of the year. That. And like, you know, it takes three minutes to write an answer in there. And like, it doesn't take any amount of time to do that. And yeah. a million views the first month, like 2 million views, like just went nuts on here. And I was like, well, that's cool. You know, people and have questions and they want answers. That's really they, cool. They do. And, and there are so many like, you know, Formula four team owners in there, formula yeah. three team owners. And like, there's actual like meet. There's a community. Yeah. Really, really good community. Former, former race car drivers and stuff like that. And so then it was, well, I keep getting these technical questions that I can't answer. And, um, and I'm really good at sales and I can really find people. I have this yeah. like, Liam Neeson, I will find you skill set. And I just was like, uh, you have an engine question. How about the head of engines for Mercedes? You know, and yeah. I just get them on the show and I interview them and, and then I just tag it onto the, to the writing and, and whatnot. So, 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 so similar. So similar. And you know, what's interesting is I think I hadn't realized that with core, but you must have experienced the same when I put my first video out 
on TikTok. You obviously you put the I think I did one or two and it didn't go anywhere. And I put a third one out, went to bed, woke up, and I was like, oh holy shit, this has blown up. Didn't realize this and was overwhelmed. But the most exciting thing for me was I thought I had all of these other videos ready to go and questions to answer, but I all of a sudden didn't need them anymore because in my comment section, it was there was another 50 questions. And that's one of the features in TikTok that I love is you can just go and answer someone's question. And so I realized, oh, I've got an endless loop. It's never ending. And I use I use Notion. I used to use Trello. I now use Notion to map out. So every single one of my videos is researched, written out. It's why I can't put out 12 or 10 or five videos a day. I can potentially put one or two. But every video is researched, and it's one of the things I pride me in is I don't do news jacking. I don't want to jump on the latest news. I don't want to be clickbait title. I'm never going to fall in that trap. I also am very, very cognizant that there's a part of what I need to do that has to have some marketing hacks to it or good tips and tricks or just like how to get my because it's no use having the best content if no one sees it and no one views it then what's what's the point of it all um but I do get very angry at some people who are very clickbaity and who just jump on all the news and the drama because it fuels their likes and and it's what I always say if you're fine with the content basically the content you put out there in the world is going to attract the partners that you have and I was there were definitely days where I was like, I'm not growing fast enough. And I was like, why do I care? What, what, what number am I trying to achieve? I've built an incredible community. The questions keep coming in. I've got like this, I'm looking at my notion board where I have about 150 questions that I need to go for an answer. So I'm, I'm not, there's, there's lots of room for content and I'm not I'm never running out of ideas. Um, but there are days where I'm just like, maybe I should just, you know, do what some people do and just, just hijack the news. And, and, but then I'm just like, no, because who would I be attracting? And I'm not attracting the right people. And again, feel very lucky and fortunate with the people who've come my way who've, when I'm prepping 2023. And it's been cool to see that evolution. You and I were talking about this of worked in silence for myself, exactly like you, like I need to put my creativity somewhere. I've got, I'm seeing people that I think I can help out. I'm not pretending I'm an expert in any field, but I definitely I'm opinionated and I understand the political landscape. I understand the tech landscape. I worked a little bit in crypto. So now I understand the whole crypto landscape with that's, you know, is definitely the new tobacco um, in Formula One right now, which is also really interesting. Um, so I, I definitely have things that I think I can bring to the table um, and what that looks like, which I think is interesting, but I had to be okay. And this is what I say to people. Are you okay doing your content when no one's seeing it for, you know, 18 months? And if you still love it after that time, then yeah, absolutely start, you know, start figuring out what you're missing and how you market it. Um, I worry for people who are creating content just to get a foot in the door because F1 really doesn't care about you. And I, and I'm not saying this to be mean is that we're, we're, you know, we're a drop in the ocean for them and they've got, especially right now, people lining their doors. And so it's always going to be a thing. Why do you think they need you? Why do you think they need any of this? So I always say to people, don't, don't try and knock on F1's door, but try and knock on the team's door, which is far more interesting. Um, but it was, it was a, it's very similar to you. Yeah. Got excited about all the questions coming in, sitting down, researching the answer, putting the question, putting the answer out in the world and then seeing more answers come your way and going, oh, this is an endless circle cycle of content creation, which is fun. Um, and then, and then, so that was the, the second half of this year in 2023 is then how do you monetize this? Because there is an element here if you want to make this your life and there's so much content you can put out there for free. Um, but I know that if I started to monetize now, 
people wouldn't my I don't think my community would have an issue because I've put out so much content for free um that I think people know that I'm coming at it from a I hope they know that I'm coming at it from a good perspective if I want to put good stuff out there in the world um but if you want to be a business yeah you're going to have that's where it gets interesting and I'm sure your head's at that place too of just like how do you now how do you monetize this and what what does that monetization look like do you monetize the content do you monetize experiences do you monetize the views um so many avenues I think there's 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 a business model that you and I create out of this because I I honestly like if I'm being real I don't think it's any of those like I don't think the how do you become the Mr. Beast of Formula One I don't think it it lives in that. I think it lives somewhere else. And I think it is, you know, I think it is in tandem with teams. I don't really think it's in tandem with the sport because they really are, they latch onto their IP very tightly. And and I rightly very so. Tight. By uh, the way, I was told that I needed to be careful with my TikTok name. Yeah, actually, there's a someone in the paddock said you might just between you and I you might want to think about changing that sometime soon I was like are you kidding me I was like yeah you don't own f1 like yeah okay well you you no offense you and every f1 edit and f1 joe and f1 john and like yeah I I I don't think that's it I think if you created f1tony.com yeah which I have okay (laughs) (laughs) I've got it I've purchased it I definitely purchased it one. I don't know if you're renewing it. Um, I was just like, I'm just going to keep it. I'm not going to use it. I'm never going to use F1 Tony. Also, the way it's written out, my husband keeps joking that it looks like Fit Honey. Um, like F, the one looks like an eye. So he's like, why is it Fit Honey? And I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> okay. I'll, I was like, this is great. I'll run with that if F1 comes knocking. I'll go, what do you mean F1 Tony? It's Fit Honey, obviously. Like, when, do you not see it? <laughs> when all the 50-year-old white guys come to you, just be like, it's Fit Honey. It's bit honey. Like I don't, I don't understand. Don't know um, no, I, it's, you said something. You brought up Mr. Beast, which I thought was fascinating, and I'll put this out there in the world for everyone who might be frustrated and struggling. And I've had, definitely had those days. I'm sure you might have had those days of like, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? Um, the doors don't seem to be opening. They don't. No one seems to be paying attention. I know for a fact that even. Mr. Beast and Mr. Beast teams have had a hard time getting F1 to recognize him and to invite him to the track. Yeah. They don't I... get it. And he has a hundred million YouTube subscribers. Do you not understand that you think there's a crowd when Lewis Hamilton walks out of the paddock? Wait till you see what the crowd looks like when a Mr. Beast goes into a, like a room. Like it's, it's not even comparable. Um, and I say, Lewis, maybe Lewis, it might be unequal, but any other of the 19 drivers on the grid, it's just like not comparable to Mr. Beast. So it was it was very humbling hearing that. And I was like, okay, if Mr. Beast is having a hard time attending a race and you know, sitting down and chatting with a with a team, then I think we're doing we're doing okay. There's I think there's a there's a model behind creating not I don't want to say creating a business, but just creating a kind of a scalable platform yes. that you know provides you the resources to travel provides you the resources to you know get on the paddock for whatever that looks like yeah but also i i have this belief that motorsports is going to flip around 
in in the near mm. term. And I don't know if that's like a year or 10 years down the road, but you know, drivers that are like scraping around trying to find money for sponsorships yeah. and to buy seats and things like that. I think there's going to be a moment when these young drivers realize the power of social media and oh, eyeballs yeah. and all of these things. And teams are going to seek them out. The end result is still the sponsors will support the teams, but yeah. these drivers with huge followings with no resources, like a, like a little kid in, yeah. in Africa, who's you know, very good with a phone super, and a camera. Yeah, exactly. It was and super fast in a home-built cart with a camera phone. And he's able to generate enough eyeballs to get yeah. sponsor dollars and go. And I, Two things I think on that, that applies to us too. Like I agree. Um, because you brought it up, I just always love reminding people of this because I think it's so it's such a cool fact that is like one of those where you scratch your head when you hear it. But 2017, 2017 was the first year that drivers were allowed to actually take pictures of themselves inside the paddock. Until 2017, Lewis Hamilton was getting cease and desist every single week, apparently or month from Bernie Eccleston saying, nope, you don't have the rights, you don't have the privilege. Um, this, this footage belongs or this picture belongs to Sky Sports, have to protect the broadcast. 2017, that's five years ago. Only five years ago did we say that the F1 kind of go, okay, take your pictures and look at what it's done. Yeah. Like it, it, people are engaged. People aren't, people aren't opening Instagram or TikTok to see what F1 posted. Right. Sometimes they look at what the teams, what they want to see is what did the driver post? I want the driver's POV on this. I don't, I don't care about what Formula One and institution has to say most of the time. And so I, I, it's such a good reminder of 2017. That was not that long ago. And it's kind of wild that, yeah, Lou, I, I don't know what the number is, but I have put it out there if anyone does know how many cease and desist letters has Lewis Hamilton received from Bernie Eccleston over the years um, for taking one, selfies. One day we're going to see Max on his phone and be like, okay, guys. Um, yeah, so I was <laughs> on the radio and, you know, before the race, Christian and I had this conversation and this is what's going on and just like- thing up. Absolutely. And I think you're right with- with the model i this was my always and it feels it feels um pertinent with the news of the f1 academy coming out and w series kind of disappearing and unsure where the future holds for them but that was always my issue with the w series of you're giving all of these women an incredible opportunity an incredible stage a spotlight but it's a little bit in a cocoon of this isn't reflective of the real world of they are being told all you need to worry about is sit and drive and be the best driver that you can. Don't need to worry about sponsorship and money, but the sport runs on sponsorship and money and to get sponsorship and money, it's branding, it's personal branding, it's your own marketing. And so if these women are told, don't worry about that, they're not out there marketing themselves exactly to your point, being an incredible content creator, taking people on journeys. That's the stuff that sponsors want. And I had the hard time realizing that that was why someone like Aston Martin and hopefully next year other teams as well wanted to work with me wasn't because I was a mouthpiece for the team or a journalist. It's because I was giving my own POV. And it, it has been an interesting conversation with most of the teams of explaining to them, no, 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 I'm not an influencer. You are not buying 
either inference from me, eyeballs or numbers, I'm never going to guarantee you that X amount of people. I'm also a smaller content creator. I don't have millions of views. What you are getting from me is a completely different perspective. And you're getting a diehard community who have loved my journey. And I think, look at this and go, this is attainable for me. I could potentially do this. And they want to see both my opinions, but also my journey and behind the scenes. And I hadn't realized that that was a way for these teams to be a little bit more human and to like bust that that barrier open a little bit and to invite people in the way that someone on a team couldn't do because they're either jaded or they're not. It was just fascinating talking with people on the teams and they're like, why is, why is that a thing that you want to talk to me about? And I was like, because I think there's a story here. And <laughs> And I will never forget, and I'm deeply grateful for the Aston Martin engineers and mechanics who generally took time out of their day to sit down and educate a fool like me who knows very little about the mechanical side of this sport. I was just like, how does the nose, like I really need to understand how you latch on the front wing and the front nose of a car in a way that you can do it in under 10 seconds, but it stays on whilst you're on track. Like this is... And so they were explaining it to me. And then I had a whole moment of, oh, this is like Ikea furniture. This is the same mecha. And he was like, I'm sorry, what? It's like, this is it. This is the same lock and lock mechanism that you do Ikea furniture. And he was like, oh, kind of, a bit more sophisticated if you don't mind. <laughs> but it was so interesting that I need like, and it, and they, and it was just such a great conversation, but I don't, they're in it every single day. This is their, you know, their day job. And so I think that there's something really fun and I hope as fun for them as it is for me of having, you know, having a naive person go, wait, what, what is that? And they're just like, you know, the visor strips and how the visors are put on and some drivers like the visors being pulled off from left to right, left to right, left to right. And some drivers want it left to right, right to left, left to right. And I was like, that's bloody cool. Like, I didn't know that was a thing that you could do and that drivers have their preferences. And and they're like, really? Why is that interesting? I was like, I and again, it goes back to we're all armchair experts because we're never going to experience. But we're all, we're all fans too. We're and fans. I, I, that 2017 is such a great story to tell. Right? You don't ever hear it. And you think of like, why are people starving for content in this sport? That's is why. Because it's been on lockdown for 70 years, you know? And that's why Drive to Survive was that first. I always say Drive to Survive was the, the, the spark that ignited everything, but it's content creators like ourselves that have kept that going because you binge watch Drive to Survive, but it's the content creators who've been creating content on a daily basis for the past two to three years. Um, and so I, I, it, it irks me a little bit when Drive to Survive gets all of the credit. of And I was like, yeah, yeah, but if, we didn't have the creator economy and we didn't have TikTok and these platforms, social platforms weren't thriving. That would have been a blip. Drive to Five would have happened and then disappeared. But we're taking that and then taking what we're seeing on the races and then, you know, trying to, you know, uh, someone was like, why are you talking about Ikea when you're talking about Formula One? And then my brain went to, oh my God, this is the best. This is it. This is what I want the next partnership to be between Ikea, Flatpak. You talk about a race going around the world. There's nothing better than flat, have a, have a, like have a sponsorship with Ikea that could help you build these, you know, these garages in flat pack mode. And that's how my brain works. And people are like, you're insane. I was like, I know this is great. <laughs> so I, I'm prepping on a video of just like, Hey, Ikea, you should think about doing a cool sponsorship with formula one and doing all the hospitality and Ikea furniture and flat pack. Here. I was like, this, this makes lots of sense to me. Um, but yeah, we're all fans. 
exactly to your point, all diehard fans of the sport. Although one day I wish I could say spa like you, not like a, not like a Midwesterner where I'm like spa, you know, you have like the perfect, I, I couldn't even repeat it. I'm, I'm not even going to try. Uh, the, the, that's the, oh, you know what? It's so funny you say that because that has been, that is the reason, by the way, I think the one of my, the second video that blew up on my TikTok was because people were really angry at me for the way I said Hano. Um, it's not because I'm a, again, French is my first language. So Charles Leclerc is always going to be Charles Leclerc. I'm now speaking with more American than British people about Charles Leclerc. So I'm starting to say Charles Leclerc and I hate myself for it. But, you know, whatever comes first. I think when you're bilingual, you don't think about these things. But again, grew up in France where it was always Spa Francorchamps and it was always Renault. And then when I spoke, this was when Renault was still Renault and not Alpine. And people were like, what the hell is she talking about? What is this? Are you stupid? And I was like, oh, get mad, get mad. Bring me views. I'm fine with that. Yeah, but yeah. then I got the comments of like, why are you not saying Mercedes like a German person or Honda like a, um, a Japanese person? And I was like, because I'm not Japanese or German and don't speak those languages. Like, how? this is so interesting. And again, that goes back to the multicultural aspect of Formula One. And even I went, I was curious of like, how does Charles Leclerc say his own name? And he pivots. He go, if he's with French media, he's Charles Leclerc. When he's with British media, he says, I'm Charles Leclerc. And I was like, oh, this is fascinating. Love it. As long as he doesn't talk like the American commentator that calls him Chuck Leclerc, like I... <laughs> I, I, oh they butchered so <laughs> Valtteri Bottas they butchered their name in Austin as well his name um Joe Guan Yu they butchered his name poor kid I'm just like oh yeah but you know it's but it's funny those are the things that get people I was like wow um intonation and and linguistics and then I, I went down the whole thing I was like okay let's do a li linguistics for Formula One series let's go I'm here for it like if if that's the content that people are excited by, let's, let's, you know, and you can't, this is what I think I mean by that two-way dialogue that I think you, you, this is what prompted when you were talking about Cora, is that two-way dialogue that you and I are maybe solo content creators, but we're not actually doing it in our own little bubble. We're constantly putting stuff out there and getting something in return. Right. And whatever we're getting in return, whether that's another question or a thought-provoking comment or something. And, and I think that's really cool to me. And I think the whether it's the archaic institutions or the traditional institutions or traditional media, I think that's maybe what they're struggling with a bit, where we're so used to just, I put something out there to get something in return, whether I like it or not. And I think the traditional journalists are just not used to that, where they're just like, stop hating on us on Twitter. And I'm like, it's become a two-way dialogue. And no. you either embrace it or you get off social and you ignore it completely. But I don't think there's a middle ground where you can be active on social and ignore the comments that come your way and only engage with the ones that you like, which again, I think is why content creators are so good in this space. Because you can put me in a garage and I'll be like, give me something, anything. Someone trips up, someone says something. I'll be like, what did you just say? Oh, that's interesting. Like that's the only, because I'm not an expert. So yeah. I don't come in with my luggage of expertise. It's That was a long-winded answer, Jesus, sorry. <laughs> no, no, you're... You even talk like I do. Like, it's like, <laughs> what's your name? Okay. So I was born in 1990. <laughs> Let me take like... you on a journey. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I think that's what, that's what helped. It's really hard to talk into a microphone. And I think, you know, one thing that, that, that I appreciate about what you do is you're able to sit there and, and work through a thought 
without making mistakes. And maybe it takes you one or two tries, but you still do it. Mm. That's how this started was, you know, I'm going to unpack my questions. I couldn't do it. I like, I, I kept tripping up and stopping. And then I'd go into like iMovie and I would like trip all up and then I'd try to cut it up. And it was like, you know, jumping all over during the the video. And it was like, I'm done. I just have to call other people and pull them into the show and have conversations. And I think that there's, that's so interesting. Yeah. The most successful content creators leverage other content creators and kind of expand and unpack these different viewpoints, because I don't really know politics other than I, I can't stand it. And, you know, but like business, I love talking about that leadership and optics and, you know, I love talking about that part of it. And so like the complimentary piece of it is like, I can watch a race for two hours a weekend, you know, but then I've got six other days of the week. I've got news that is basically a hundred or 200 iterations of the same information. Like it's like news is Max Verstappen hates Perez. And like we type it a hundred different ways on a hundred different outlets, but it's the same story. Content creators provide these hundreds of unique views of kind of, I don't know if you look at like this at a hundred different views of this situation to say like, well, I'm a driver and this is why he would say something like that. Yeah. Or, you I'm know, a mechanic like, or, yeah. Exactly. There's, there's so much more that, that I think your, your armchair experts never get is yeah. as a fan, we have no idea what's going on. Like yeah. we don't ever get the whole story. Like we will ever. never know the whole story of the cost cap until the whole team yeah. has cycled, you know, and until it's yeah until it's it's available for public consumption <laughs> and and it is but here's what's it's fascinating what you just said there because i think going back to your point also of 2017 like this is why we're all starving we've been starved for content and i think this is what f1 doesn't realize or maybe they do and they don't know how to go about it or maybe they do and they truly don't care doesn't actually matter at the end of the day but when you don't give us the full picture we as fans or content creators are going to fill in the gaps with our most logical explanation. And sometimes it's going to be pie in the sky. Sometimes it's going to be, let me put on my little tinfoil hat. And sometimes it's going to be most basically, this is probably what happened and there's nothing to it. But that is always what happens. It's human nature when someone says, oh my God, I've got someone to tell something to tell you. I'll ring you back at six. And you're just like, it's 11 a.m. There's no, no freaking way I'm waiting here for eight hours for you to fill me in. Like, call me now because your mind just starts rolling. Um, and, and I had this when I, when I was seeing people and the hatred that people had with Brundle being on the grid, doing the grid walk. And he spoke very openly about how he doesn't like it. And people got very angry, like how, you know, why is Megan the stallion there? And why all of these American celebrities there who really don't care about Formula One, who get paid so much money to be there. And I was like, oh, okay, here's something that I can add, which is F1 doesn't pay anyone to show up and do the grid walk you'd be lucky if f1 throws you one ticket and even if you're a minor they're like we've got one ticket figure how you get here and they're like she's a minor or he's a minor he can't he can't come unaccompanied we're going to need a second ticket and they're like no well we we can maybe give you a pass for like two hours and then that parent has to disappear they (laughs) true this is not a like a 
family experience that's put our arms around you and and create an incredible weekend for you and your family and fly you in and Kate no 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 it's uh if you want this badly enough you have to be here between 2 p.m and 4 p.m we're going to throw you on the grid we're going to pull you back up we're going to sh- sh- you know throw you to a team who's going to look after you for the rest of the- that is it yeah. and so it was very funny when I heard all of these stories about you know people being flown in and jets I'm like no I'm sorry but again, like F1 is not doing itself, is doing itself a disservice by not being very transparent and open. And I can't wait for that era where F1 goes, wait, you know, there's an easy way of us getting away from all of the rumors and all the shit that's being said about us. Let's just have honest conversations. And also I understand the privilege that content creators like you and I have is we don't have sponsors right now to answer to. We don't have, you know, we 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 don't have someone on our team that's having, you know, you wrote a great article and someone else is going to write a title that's going to be a clickbait title because that guarantees clicks and views and it makes the sponsors happy and it makes the boss happy. You know, we don't, I don't have to deal with all of that. Right. That truly my metric is do people keep showing up to my streams and do people keep consuming my videos? Yes or no, which is both daunting because it's thousands and thousands of people who have an opinion on what you're putting out there. But it also means I'm not, you know, I'm not tied to certain things that obviously a traditional business is tied to. So there's also that little bit of empathy, which is also why I never want to be an F1 journalist or a pundit. Like I want to, I love being on the outside, ruffling feathers and I think, saying what I have to say. I think they'll they'll get it soon. I went to the St. Pete Grand Prix earlier yeah. this year uh, for IndyCar. And I, you know, I advise a young driver at, um, in the feeder series. And so I, I went know, yeah. there with my wife, hung out with his parents and watched, watched him race. And then a friend of mine is a sponsor for Andretti. Okay. And so he sends me a text and he's like, Hey, are you here? And I was like, yeah, I'm here. And he's like, you want to come hang out in hospitality? And I was like, yeah, let's, let's do it. And he's like, come over here, you know, here, I'll drop a pin where I'm at, you know? And so I walk over and like, I get ushered back and I get to, you know, hang out in hospitality, have lunch, spend some time with Mario, spend some time with JF and the team boss and and their kind of driver development team. And That's I mean, incredible. I just had a blast going back there and behind the scenes, they took me out to the grid for the grid walk yeah. or the race. And this was Indy. This, yeah. Yep. Yeah. And then I go to Coda, you know, a month ago. And I mean, I've, I've met some big names. Yeah. On this show. And I'm, I text them, you know, and it's like, so yeah, I just got here. It's Friday. And, you know, we're just trying to find a place to sit, you know, hint, hint. No. and no. it's like, man, have fun, you know, really. Yeah. Turn hint, one hint is really does good. not work. I think yeah. the, the hint, hint, I don't know if everyone got the same memo in F1 or if everyone's doing the hint, hint, they, yeah, doesn't work. You have to go in with, any chance you can get me into the paddock? Then the answer is probably going to be no. We're at 120% capacity. Okay, good to know. Bye. Yeah, there, there's no. Was it you that posted the picture of the sticker on the phone? Yeah. Yeah, that's nuts. It's still on here because I can't scratch it off. I, I managed to scratch off the Miami sticker as I they were giving me the Austin sticker. Um, it's the, this is so this is one of those things that I find fascinating. That's part of the accreditation process is if you go in and you're a content creator. And I had this thing again with like Daniel Ricardo taking pictures. I was like, I wonder if he get, but basically every formal accredited photographer or videographer gets a sticker that says either 
mine says what mine says video that says video or photo and it tells people that you are allowed to be doing the thing that you're doing i you're allowed to be taking pictures or you're allowed to be taking videos um very very strict every photographer that's been hired either by a team or by a sponsor or by formula one gets one of those if you do not have that and you try and taking pictures like yeah, they'll pick you up and put you out of the paddock as fast as you got in um but it is it is fascinating that i hung out with a good friend of mine was a content creator in Austin and I could see him sat outside and I was like, what are you doing? What? And he was embedded with a team. I was embedded with a team. He previously was embedded with a team as a photographer. So hired as a photographer, not a content creator. And this time they hired him as a content creator, which is great. Like teams are trying out different things. And he's like, I'm not sure I know what to do. And I was like, oh, that's fascinating. And I was like, well, first of all, go and get your sticker. And he's like, what do you mean? But I was like, well, if you don't have a sticker on your phone, you won't be able to capture anything. And he's like, how do I not know this? And I was like, oh, well, welcome to the circus that is Formula One. You learn by doing and you learn by, you know, sink or swim, basically. And so he had that conversation with the team. of just like, I think I need a sticker. And they were like, oh, yeah, you probably do if you want. And he was like, yeah, because if you want me to create content, I'm going to have to take. And so you have those conversations of, can you film cars on track? Probably no, because that footage belongs to Sky Sports or ESPN. You don't have the rights to film cars on track unless you're a fan. So if you go in the fan zone, obviously fans are able to take. But then you get into this conversation of when does a fan become a professional fan slash content creator slash become in competition with the broadcasters who have exclusivity? <laughs> and I don't think anyone, let alone F1, is ready for those conversations. No. And what's the threshold? Is it a number? Am I considered not a threat and just a content creator and let her be? She has, what, you know, 100,000 followers. She's fine. She's not a threat. But what if my video all of a sudden gets 4 million views and they're like, well, actually, thank you for that footage that belongs to us. So send it over, will you? And then we'll use it because I've definitely seen Formula One use fan footage, not credited anything. And don't come and ask for credit because they'll be, you weren't supposed to be filming this in the first place. It doesn't belong to you. It belongs to us. But that's interesting to me because when does a fan become a professional fan slash content creator slash a threat to, to the exclusivity deals that they have? Don't you? Find Which, by the way, funny. you're a tech person, reminds you of Quibi. I'm just like, did we not learn lessons from Quibi? And how not being able to screenshot, which happens with F1 TV as well, like all of that stuff doesn't actually help you. It hinders you, but just putting that out there. That's exactly what I was saying. Like at the end of the day, we're promoting their business. Like that. you can't, you Put can't price get, on that. How much did the, I mean, I know what companies spend for marketing to like make social media and get it out there and what they spend on ads to push it farther out. I mean, they should, they should be, you know, if you're a content creator, come here and, you know, I don't care if you have a sticker or not, man, get this. Get the footage. Because, you know, I, we talked about this before the show, but like how they executed the U.S. rollout. Like I, I, I laugh from like a business perspective here. They've got this like identity problem where they're like, you know, Austin has got it totally figured out. But yeah. you know, it, it's like Vegas pops out, and then it's like hundred thousand dollar ticket. You know, it's like yeah. eh, that's not for me and my son to go watch a race. That's for yeah. a business and a corporate, you know, Spons corporate sponsors. Yeah. Exactly. And, and then you go, you've got Austin for 10 years, half a million people, you know, yeah. you, can, you can fit there. And then we go to Miami, which is 200 and change. Yeah. 
And then Vegas, the third rollout is like 150 or 170,000. Yeah. It's like, if we're selling this thing out year after year after year, why are we not going 600, a million? Like, why are we not growing this to, yeah. to drive costs down? I think that to me, that's where you mess up because businesses operate on budgets and fans operate on fandom. And, yeah. and you know, and, and so like me, I will take my family to a race because we love it. We're passionate about it from a business owner perspective. Like if it's not in our budget, we just don't do it. And we actually have to run a business as well. Yeah. And so like you can only cater to that group for so long. 100%. And I broke, this sounds so bad, but like broke people will spend money even when they're broke and businesses will not spend money when they're broke. Yeah. And, and I think when you build, well, it's the passion, isn't it? It's a business. You might not have the passion as a fan. You have the passion and you're looking at this going, I really shouldn't be spending the money on it, but you do, which is what breaks my heart. Mm. Um, it, F1 has done a lot of things in the recent years, right. In sort of like trial and error and testing and I put sprint races as a perfect example of they could have gone we're going to try sprint races I'm going to roll it out to all 23 races that we have and instead they did no we're going to start small we'll roll it out to three and then we'll try it for six and and I think that was super super smart um and I, I give F1 a lot of shit but I will give credit where credit is due and 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 again I do love love the sport dearly um but it is going to be interesting how this whole thing evolves. And I am curious. I would love to be a fly on the wall and understand how they're looking at their audience segments and how they're, because I think Vegas is going to become a trade show of sorts. Vegas is going to be the, like, this is where we do our business deals. This is where the sponsors come and get happy. Um, Austin has such a, you know, deep rooted track record of motorsports, um, but that's not going anywhere. And I think, I think it's a bit like Spa Francorchamps. If you try to jack the prices up too much, there's going to be a riot and people are going to get really, really mad. So I think they're smart enough to know not to do that. And Miami is obviously tapping into a whole other audience, you know, the tech crypto bros um, and a whole other segment. But it is, I, I'm seeing this already on the content creator side and I fear that the same is going to happen on the fan side. If as a fan and as a content creator, you give so much to a sport that you find fascinating and love and you get absolutely nothing in return, they're going to go elsewhere. Like, don't get me wrong. F1 is phenomenal and I love the sport. But if you're a content creator and you do one video on IndyCar, which I have seen, and then all of a sudden IndyCar starts knocking on your door and go, hey, do you want to come, the experience you had, do you want to come into our paddock and come and create content with us and for us? And let's, we'll do you a grid walk and we'll have you sit. Then you're like, wait, why am I wasting my time promoting a sport right. that clearly doesn't love me in return? And I've done one video of another sport and they fully embrace me. And it's the same with NASCAR. And I think, if, you know, at the end of the day, it's the same kind of ethos. It's phenomenal drivers battling it out on. And I obviously love all the different layers of Formula One. And I'm going to get a lot of hate. Right? So I'll caveat this of saying that NASCAR is obviously very different to IndyCar and it's very different to WEC and very different to Formula One. But I think as a fan, you can, I think we're a little bit fickle that we could very easily pivot if we do not feel seen, heard, loved, appreciated. And yeah. that sport is nothing without the fans. Good God, we heard the drivers talk in 2020 and 2021 about what it was like driving with no fans in the stands. Right. Um, they were sad. They were miserable. It wasn't the same. Um, so it's very interesting. So I think there's something there of just like, again, we go back to right at the start of the conversation, something that both Williams um, 
Donington and, and both Aston Martin have done very well is, yeah, we're going to be fan-centric, put the fan at the centre. And it's going it's, it's gonna to pay us tenfold, twentyfold. Not that I'm saying they're doing it like as an evil conspiracy to like for it to pay back, but they generally care and that care is being seen and heard and appreciated, um, which I, I think is is really exciting. But I, I, I do I do worry for Formula One of how much do people have it in them until they're like, why am I doing this? I can barely afford F1 TV. Can't afford to go to any race. Like that's just the merch is whole, woefully way too expensive and not what I would want to spend my money on. So what's the point? Mm-hmm. And I wonder how you know. I wonder how, how long I give some of these fans that they're like, yeah, I'm hopping over to Indy. I'm hopping over to NASCAR. And I think Indy and NASCAR are very ready to the, welcome yeah. those fans. There's a there's a girl. I don't remember her name. She's in Twitter. And she actually, she did exactly what you're talking about is I think she went to Miami last Vandalay. No, Cassie. Yes, Cassidy. Cassidy. Yeah. And she basically pivoted over to IndyCar and was like, for what I spent at Miami, I can actually, it's what I got every single IndyCar race. And, and she's pivoted all of her content into, I was like, that, and that's what I mean. It's not It's not a bad fan. She wasn't a fake fan. It's just like, she's a very smart fan that looks at this and a smart content creator who looks at this and go, and we had this conversation. Okay, great. I'll keep F1 as a hobby on the side where I'm going to make my business, where I'm going to make my money is in all of these other spaces, which technically is what I'm doing in terms of I'm not putting all my eggs in the basket of Formula One. It's why I always diversify my content, whether it's tech and it comes with a political angle because A, I don't think anyone else is doing that, but also it allows me to pivot. It allows me, it makes sense for me to do a collaboration with a tech company. It makes sense for me to do a collaboration with Cognizant, who's obviously one of the tech partners of Aston Martin and helps Aston Martin understand the plethora of data and information that's coming at them and allows Aston Martin to then run, you know, their their, their different um their different race scenarios and to make sense of the data. I always say if you have lots of data, great congratulations. You've got a massive Excel spreadsheet. If you don't know what to actually do with the data and what it actually means, then what's the point? Um, but it makes like I can do a partnership with Cognizant and have that conversation. It's like I understand the tech background of that. Um, it also helps that I sell campaigning software and you know, big data was a big part of that. Um, and I think that's where it gets interesting for me of those those same sponsors are sponsoring different sports and we can have those same conversations about the role of technology and big data in motorsports. It doesn't have to be about Formula One. Like that diversity is important and it's kind of a little bit sad that I see people who've created like NBA or NFL content and, you know, six months in they were getting all of this access and yeah. making all of this money and so yeah I guess that the moral of the story here is if you're a con- an F1 content creator and you want and you feel like people you're doing something wrong you're not um it's just that F1 isn't really embracing content creators right now um and they might get it in a few years but or they might never change yeah I I you're right I mean team team access and 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 driver access is worth that because they love us and and i think that you know they they appreciate it and i think they see a glimmer of something in there and and then i'm i imagine the sport will follow suit at some point and 
well, if you look at it, every team has their own personality and their own values and all the different content creators come at it from various different perspectives and have their own values and have their own weight. So I, I look at some content creators, I'm like, oh my God, you'd be a match made in heaven with Ferrari, or you'd be a match made in heaven with Mercedes, and you'd be a match made in heaven for McLaren. And I love that because of, it's the diversity of those content creators. And again, like the teams are so diverse. They, and the same for the drivers. Like I can't wait for drivers to start doing fun partnerships with, with content creators. Um, I don't know who the first one is going to take that leap of faith, but I can't wait to see that. It's, it's coming. I, I mean, I get, I get more access again from IndyCar drivers, you know, yeah. I mean, I've had Mario Andretti on the show and like, so cool. I, I mean, I can't get, I've actually Tuesday, I have Lando Norris's dad coming on, you know, it just like trying to, how do I get to the driver? <laughs> like, yeah, like, I, and I don't want that to what this show is about. Cause I think people like you and, and, and people around the paddock, the engineers, the mechanics, yeah are very unique and, and and I think people kind of gravitate towards that but you do have to speckle the names in there for for some reach yeah but Lando's an inch it's so interesting that you bring up Lando because I I we often talk about him on stream in that he is one of the drivers along with Lewis Hamilton who I I called them the multi-hyphenated drivers in that they understand business really well and yep. they're just like, I know that there's a shelf life on me being a driver. And so what all the other business endeavors and, you know, Lewis Hamilton 100% paved the way for that. And he took a lot of shit for, you know, doing left and right collaborations. And but he still absolutely killed it on track. So, you know, people, I think, very quickly stopped, stopped complaining about that. Um, but I do find it interesting with Lando of everything that he created with Quadrant and that he built it under his name. But it's also, you know, removed from just him. And he's like, he's it's very smart and very cool to watch. Uh, and I get very excited by drivers. And I think there are definitely two types of drivers. There are the drivers who are diehard motorsport, Formula One drivers, Max Verstappen, nothing else interests him but that. And again, not right or wrong, it's just that's his personality and I think it's pretty cool. And then there are drivers who are just like multi-hyphenated. There's a lot that they want to be doing, whether it's building you know, a platform, whether it's talking about mental health, whether it's creating quadrant, whether it's creating a merch line. Um, and I get very excited by that side of things as well. So that, I, I'm, I'm very envious of that conversation that you're going to have with his dad, because I believe his dad is a really good business person, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, he is. And I think it's a multi-tiered. I think he ran an investment firm and now he runs a electric scooter company. And I think they're interesting. I think they're the wealthiest family, privately owned family and where, <laughs> wherever they're at. I, I don't know the whole story. I, I will know, but. Um, interesting. Such an interesting angle. Yeah, I. I think parents of drivers are incredible. I actually have a, a driver that I advise. I have his parents yeah. on. I'm waiting. They they had this whole thing done. And I'm like, I'm waiting for the edit. It was like this professional setting inside of a go-kart like cool. manufacturer with like yeah. professional lighting and like all this stuff. And like this, I can just, when we're done, I click end and there's the video file. And then I just chuck it into YouTube. Yeah. And I'm done yeah. with them. It's like this whole process, but it's a whole their, production. Their story is fascinating. You know, it, it like, it's like Lewis's dad, you know, it's just really, really fascinating. 
what got you what got you in interested in doing like the driver I don't know if it's management or advising but what 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 oh. piqued your interest there it honestly I as a so as a dad yeah you know I immediately have this affinity for helping young people like growing up I never had like my parents taught me to be a good parent and a good yeah. human, but nobody ever taught me how to run a business. Nobody ever like showed That's me it. all the landmines of life. And so like, I there are a few, <laughs> yeah, there's a couple. So I take that really seriously, but my son started carting a couple of years ago and, you know, and I get around all of these, these drivers. And I guess because of my writing, it makes me this like quasi expert in the business. I mean, gotcha. I mean, I, I understand business. I don't really understand motorsports and just, they reach out to me and I just very much exactly like you described. I take all of my wisdom and expertise from other industries and I apply it to motorsports and, you know, and they're like, Oh my gosh, well, that's super smart. Or, you know, here's, here's what we have going on for next season. These are our options. And then you kind of just help them work through that because yeah. parents parents are like racehorses yeah. they they don't really see the force through the tree and yeah. and the drivers are like you know they just want to go drive you know but there's this whole business end that they have to navigate it's like when when you're a kid it's like what is the most complex hardest zero sum career I could ever choose I'm going to be a race car driver yeah I'll go for and, that please and you need all these people around you and so you know I've gotten to spend a lot of time with you know with these young people and parents and like I just I love it and I had so cool. I had Stefan Johansson on last yeah. week and you know he's a driver manager for a couple of IndyCar drivers and he was a Formula One driver and yeah and I was like when my kids go off to college, like one day I'd love to be a driver manager. Like I don't have yeah. the time to travel the whole world following these kids around, yeah. but like when they're off to college and they have their own lives and they can support themselves, I would love to do that. And he's like, Oh, if you're serious, call me, call me. I'll walk you through it. I'll teach you how to do yeah. it. I, was like, I don't have, I have zero connection. You know, I could never take a driver and drop them in a McLaren. Like you know to your point you have that experience with that expertise of running businesses of thinking about the marketing aspect that could be a value that then starts you know and again the podcast that you're doing right now those connections are being built bit by bit um which it's, it's always I feel like as a content creator or even as a business person or an entrepreneur you always have to like take that moment to look at what you've achieved and where you've come and I have to do that with myself of just like Hold on a minute. I, I you know, I have the. I, I always do an end of year report or a year in review of what I've achieved. When you know, did I get to where I wanted to get? And I had a couple of pinchy moments of holy crap. I, you know, did an official beginner's guide with Formula One. I sat down and hosted an intimate conversation with a four-time world champion, Sebastian Vettel. Um, I, you know. You, yeah. you've done you've done good for yourself for the first year in like taking this <laughs> seriously. And and it's actually funny that you say what you were sharing about um about what you you know the the experience that you learned when I was chatting with Seb in in um in Austin we were talking about 
I was asking him, like, he has this firm belief of always looking forward. And he's like, I don't want to stay in the present. I don't want to dwell on the past. And he was like, I think I just don't know any differently. And as a race car driver, you do your time on track, you get out of the ta- you get out of the car, and then you look at what you did um, well and not well. And then you go, okay, need to do better. And then you forget the past. And he's like, I don't think I know any different. But as a Formula One driver, you always have to constantly be looking forward, looking forward, looking to the next thing. And I was like, that's actually pretty cool. And he's like, so I think that's just been embedded in me um, because I was being cheeky and asking him who he would support on the grid next year when he has his feet up and he's like first of all Tony I will not be having my feet up I will not be relaxing I was like okay um I think he has big plans for next year and then he he generally said I don't think I'll be watching F1 and I was like oh wow and that must be I, it goes back to my you know expert kind of thing armchair expert I, if you've driven an F1 car do you really want to sit back and watch it no but you're just like I want to be in the freaking car or just not know it ha-, you know so I was like oh that's really interesting I hadn't thought of that that you might actually want a few years of just like I need to step back think I mean think about a driver you start when you're like four years old and you yeah. that's your Never life stop. you have no childhood you have no anything like your whole life has been this like yeah, grind traveling circus and mm-hmm. I I mean I don't blame him I mean I if if I were him I would have retired after Ferrari and I would have I would have been a dad and a husband and maybe come back but I just I think that that's such a grind like you think of Lewis Hamilton has been racing since he was three and he's almost 40 always on the go yeah and I can't wait for Seb Vettel to ruffle feathers on the outside next year can't wait I really I, hope he, he does a few things, a few ruffle feddling. Ruffle fed, no, feather, feather ruffling. <laughs> he should take over for Mike Crack. I, I think that would be a good place for him. Interesting. He'd be a good, he'd be a good team boss. I think he would be a great team boss. But again, I don't know if he would, what's your point? You've grinded your whole life on the, you know, on the, the traveling circuits to what, start all over again from a dip. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot. So- Tony, I like, I'm actually thankful. I unfortunately have to go. Oh, you don't want to do this for another three hours? No, I'm joking. Actually, Um, I do. That's the problem (laughs) is I actually do. I know that feeling. No, I appreciate it. And I would honestly say that, like, I would actually want to make this a regular occurrence. Like, I would like to stay in communication with you. And I would love to, like, when, like, the f1 academy drops to like do something and like the political aspect of it the business end of it like the you know what does that mean for fans and like the drivers and just some of these these conversations that can be had that isn't so much like your your origin story but just you you you've got such a unique perspective thank you of, of the sport and like any way that i can help you and your show like in tech or whatever or yeah politics, right like, back at you yeah I'm, I'm I like this it's just like it's it, I like conversations which is I just there's a I like dialogues where you leave and I'm definitely leaving this conversation so echoing what you're saying about being grateful I definitely love leaving conversations I was like oh I have so many more ideas that I'm like you know typing in notes going oh that was yeah there's a, there's a there's an idea here to dig into or I'd forgotten I like different people's perspective on, on things as well yeah and there's a lot to talk about 
don't let two creative entrepreneurial people have a conversation because then it's like there's something there what can we create you yeah know? what can we do what can we build out of this um and no, then everybody's it's like oh god here they go like, here they go but it's it's it is to your point it's it's always nice to talk with someone who's on a similar journey and on a similar path of wanting to create something and I still don't know what the end goal is here and I don't know what that looks like and I'm kind of fine right now just messing around and seeing what works and what doesn't um I think it's the best it's the best position to be in even though some days it's harder than others but yeah well let's get let's get uh Kate Yes. On board with Miami, get us behind the scenes. Let's go. Let's go crazy. Let's go show Formula One what we got. I love it. Well, thank you again for having me. It, it was so it was such a fun conversation. Seriously, everybody, TikTok F1 Tony, like her stuff is cool. It's it's engaging. She's articulate. She speaks well. Um, she speaks her mind, so she's authentic. And thank you seriously i'm i'm actually really th- i i didn't actually think you would respond i most people that create content are just very inaccessible and they probably do it like from their office chair yeah i'm really grateful that that you accepted this and came on and and i i hope we thank can you for thinking of very me. very regular yeah i'm sure we can i'm sure we can have plenty of conversations but yeah thank you thank you for reaching out and i never say no to a to an interesting dialogue so here i am yeah and you're good conversation too like i don't <laughs> actually have to work i just, <laughs> <laughs> just those are the best don't they where you're just, just like talk oh, about what we do <laughs> this is great um appreciate the time thank you thank you so much thank you talk to you soon <laughs>